and then there's Effie, uh, who stayed to pr at Progress Bar really late as well. <laughs> Respect to that. Uh, who's a DJ, a filmmaker, a video artist, assistant professor at Bard College, and um, we'll speak about mindful cinema, mindfulness cinema, and I'm uh, really looking forward to your, especially your sensibility in music, uh, in your talk and in your work. Anyway, I'm watching the birds and wondering if the images are glitching a little or if that's just the way it, it all looks. This image was shot um, at Daytona Beach, um, Florida, uh, in the north part of the state of Florida, um, in the south in the United States. And uh, it's where one of the locations where I'm shooting um, a current a current project, which maybe I'll get into, or maybe not. But to be honest, I don't really feel like talking about it extensively at the moment. But I just wanted to look at the image the way that you were all looking at the image. But I guess I'm not really looking at the image the way you were all looking at it, because I'm talking and standing very close to it and hearing you whisper behind me and laugh and that sort of thing. So it's a little bit different, but similar, you know? Now. Trouble, double trouble. What happens when I talk in both of them at once, I wonder. Ah. Um, well, I'll use this one for now because then I can use both of my hands. I arrived uh, in Amsterdam, uh, not this past Wednesday, but the one before that because I had to go over to uh, Brussels for a project, and then I I came back. Um, did the image stop on its own? Yeah. Um, and while I was there, I was doing some uh, performing a uh, sound piece that um, I um, improvised um, on the spot, but it's sample based, so you know, I didn't. I had to go there with some sort of program, but I decided um, to bring that device with me today and use it in some way. Um, I still don't know exactly what I'll do with it. I guess I already did, so I've already been using it in some way, um, but I'll use it in some, some more ways as I sort of um, drift um, for a little while. Um, so that's there. I have a hard drive here as well, a couple of books, and a laptop that I'm borrowing. Um, and so I'm going to kind of bounce between uh, these items and my thoughts um, for a bit. I told myself I wasn't going to say what I'm going to do and then do something, so I've already um, slipped up or not slipped up. But anyway, I thought I would say that. Um, just things, things that I'm telling myself and then not following the rules. Um, uh, it's an interesting process in that I don't make plans because when I do, I don't follow them anyway. You know, um, And so I had already planned on, again, not describing what I'm going to do and then doing it, and then I find myself doing that. Why is the question. And as I'm standing here thinking about it and not making eye contact, it occurs to me that the reason I'm doing that is because I'm nervous. And the reason I'm nervous is because I'm standing in front of all of you. Um, and so, you know, that's how these, these things go. Um, but there are certain words uh, that I'm definitely not going to use. Um, maybe at the end, I'll ask you if I've said them. But going to try to avoid certain things. Um, and in some ways, the themes of this talk or is it supposed to be a lecture or a demonstration, I don't know. Um, the themes of this thing that we're doing are things that I don't like to generally talk about or some of them out, out, out loud. I guess, can you talk and not be out loud? But anyway, I don't like to talk about um, that much. But anyway, let's, let's keep going. 
I like to shoot film, but then transfer to, to video. So this image here, all right? It's like uh, the end of the, the roll. Let's see, maybe there's another image worth looking at. Uh, no, let's stop there for now. I kind of like that one. I'm gonna watch it again. Another thing I don't do is make plans when I go to festivals. And so in coming to Sonic Acts, I didn't really know uh, what I was getting uh, involved with. Typically, I find myself at film festivals, but this one seems to be uh, a lot more oriented toward audio, which is fine by me. I also do a lot of audio work. And uh, technically speaking, I'm doing audio work uh, right now. So, you know, um, I didn't want to plan uh, anything too specific um, and then arrive somewhere and feel like what I have to do or say is uh, irrelevant or out, out of context. I also um, stayed up very late, um, which doesn't mean that I'm tired, um, but it does have an impact on the way that I think. If I had talked five hours ago, I'd probably say different things than I'm saying now. If I had slept for eight hours instead of four, I'd say maybe different things, but here we are. was making the sound piece to play mostly the sample sounds something like this idea, I guess. Uh, let's go back to the other part, actually, while I find my page, page marker here. Thank you. 
Negroes in America, Negroes in America, Negroes, Negroes, Negroes in America. Something that I um, have been doing recently when I give talks is just like straight up reading from a book. Um, Cause I feel like people don't, don't do that anymore. And, um, or rarely do I go out and people just read, read from a book. It's always via computer or some other realm. And um, if we were a more intimate crowd, I would pass the book around and um, ask people to read out loud as a sort of collective thing anyone over a certain age grew up doing. Um, so if anyone would like to help in that way, feel free to just come up and read a paragraph as I'm, I'm going here. And again, I'm making this up as I'm kind of going along. So as I'm pulling the microphone like this, I'm thinking to myself, do I like this sound? Should I pick a different sound to read to? Because I don't know, maybe the low frequencies are too close to my voice, so I should pick something with higher frequencies. But to be honest with you, I'm not sure which number to press to get that result. <laughs> so I'll go with number one, because I feel fairly confident that that will sound more like something that will work. Yeah, that's fine. I um sometimes prefer drugs to books because with drugs I take them and they go in and then they go out you know but when I read sometimes and I come across an idea I'm not reading right now I'm just looking at the book um <laughs> I mean I'm, I was reading that part about the drugs but now I'm just speaking freely um uh <laughs> anyhow um you know hold on one second here I, um, you know, I come across an idea, uh, for instance, you know, I was watching, um, as hopefully a lot of you watched, a bunch of uh, Adam Curtis uh, documentaries the other day. And, um, you know, uh, I think there's one called The Century of the Self. And he's going off when he's like 40 and things. And it occurred to me that I hadn't read uh, Civilization and its Discontents since I was too young to appreciate it in any meaningful way. Um, and so I went back and started looking at it. And um, at, around that time, I was being asked to give a, a workshop on uh, landscape filmmaking, um, which until I was offered the opportunity to lead the workshop, I didn't realize that I was a landscape filmmaker. Um, so I thought, ah, this is a bit of a provocative invitation. Um, and so this is all going on. And I'm open up the book, and I'm going to read um, from it. Uh, If I can find exactly where I want to start. But he's kind of talking about the relationship, actually, uh, between uh, the way we think and architecture, et cetera, um, and this idea of mental landscapes versus, you know, in the relationship to the physical landscape, right? Um, and there's a pencil marking here, so maybe that implies where I should start. Um, in the realm of the mind, on the other hand, what is primitive is so commonly preserved alongside of the transformed version which has arisen from it that is unnecessary, that it is unnecessary to give instances as evidence. When this happens, it is usually in consequence uh, to a divergence in development. One portion, in the quantitative sense of an attitude or instinctual impulse, has remained unaltered, while another portion has undergone further development. This brings us to the more general problem of preservation in the sphere of the mind. The subject has hardly been studied as yet, but is so attractive uh, and important that we may be allowed to turn our attention to it for a little, even though our uh, excuse is insufficient. Hmm. 
Since we overcame the error of supposing that forgetting, uh, we are familiar with the signified, sorry, with signified, um, a deconstruction of the memory trace, that is, its annihilation, we have been inclined to take the opposite view, that in mental life, nothing that has once been formed can perish, that everything is somehow preserved, and that in suitable circumstances, when, for instance, regression goes back far enough, it can once more be brought to light. Let us try to grasp um, what this assumption involves by taking an analogy from another field. This is what filmmaking in some ways is all about. Uh, we will choose an example, as an example, the history of the eternal city. And I believe we have a volunteer. Um, <laughs> no? What would your preference be? Oh, no, 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 this is grade school. If you're going to read, you have to read to everyone. Oh, yeah. Come, read. You start with, um, historians tell us. Historians tell us that the oldest Rome was the Roma Quadrata, a fenced settlement on the Palatine. Palatine, then followed the phase of the Septimontium, a federation of the settlements on the different hills. After that came the city, bounded by the Servian Wall, and later still, after all the transformations during the periods of the Republic and the early Caesars, the city which the Emperor Aurelian surrounded with the walls. We will not follow the changes the city went through with any further. We ask ourselves how much of this during we will suppose we equip with the most complete historical and topographical knowledge we still find left of those early stages of Rome today. Even for a few gaps, you will see the wall of Aurelian almost unchanged. In some places, you'll be able to find sections of the Serbian wall where they may be searching bright light. Who knows enough more than present day, largely living baby and trees, most plan to see the whole course. Let's find something else here. Oh, go ahead, you can pick up if you'd like. Uh, next, next page, right? Next turn page. Let's find something. Let's listen to different. I'm growing bored of this loop. Huh? Just start randomly somewhere? Ah, uh, no. You have to read in order. That's the one one criterion. We're making I'm making some sort of point. It might not seem that way, but okay. Can I okay. <laughs> if he knows enough more than present day archaeology does. He may perhaps be able to trace out in the plan of the city the whole course of that wall and the outline of the Roma Quadrata, of the buildings which once occupied this ancient area, he will find nothing, or only scanty remains, for they exist no longer. <laughs> the best information about Rome in the Republican era would only enable him at the most to point out the sites where the temples and public buildings of that period stood. Their place is now taken by ruins, but not by ruins of themselves, but of later restorations made after fires or destruction. It is hardly necessary to remark that all these remains of ancient Rome are found dovetailed into the jumble of a great metropolis which has grown up in the last few centuries since the Renaissance. There is certainly not a little that is ancient still buried in the soil of the city or beneath its modern buildings. This is the manner in which the past is preserved in historical sites like Rome. Now let us, by a flight of imagination, suppose that Rome is not a human habitation, but a psychical entity with a similarly long and copish, co copish past 
an entity that is to say in which nothing that has once come into existence will have passed away and all the earlier phases of development continue to exist alongside the latest one. Excellent. Where, where are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that gave me a break to think about why the hell we're reading Freud in the first place. Um, and it reminded me of, of, of why a few things, you know, at, at this point, hopefully that was uh, legible in terms of um, this idea that Freud is raising, right? This um, looking at the history of a place like Rome and trying to imagine all of the architecture that's ever been there happening all at once and the impossibility to even in our mind actually do that. Like you can't imagine two buildings. I mean, maybe you can, it looks really crazy in your brain, which is awesome. But practically speaking, it's very difficult to imagine everything at once. And then he kind of goes on to talk about how perhaps our minds work the same way. And when we start to stack ideas, occupying similar mental spaces, it becomes this, this big you know, mess. Um, maybe I'll skip ahead to his, uh, to the end here, um, yeah, I love this. This, this, what you know, he represents as this radical idea. Uh, I'm going to repeat. Now, let us, by a flight of imagination, suppose that Rome is not a human habitation, but a psychically uh, a psychical entity with a similarly long and copious past. An entity, that is to say, uh, in which nothing that has once come into existence will have passed away and all the earlier phases of development continue to exist alongside the latest. This would mean that in Rome, the palaces of the Caesars and the uh, Septizonium of Septimus uh, Severius would still be rising uh, to their old height uh, on the Palatine, and that the castles of St. Angelo would still be carrying uh, on, on its battlements the beautiful statues which graced until the siege by the Goths, so forth and so on. Um, then he, you know, he keeps going on and on with this, the, the architecture. Uh, there is clearly no point in spinning our fantasy any further, for it leads to things that are unimaginable and even absurd, God forbid. Um, if, if we want to represent historical sequence in spatial terms, uh, we can only do it by, the juxtap do it by juxtaposition in space. The same space cannot have two different contents. Our attempts seem to be an idle game. It has only one justification. It shows us how far we are from mastering the characteristics of mental life by representing them in pictorial terms. And this is one of those sentences I was, I was saying, I'd be better off with drugs uh, because these things, they rattle around and I, I just kind of obsess over them. Maybe they're not that deep, doesn't really matter. I think of these things more like a, a soccer ball or something. I like to kick it around and kick it around. And then when I'm bored, I just move on to the next game, you know? Uh, so this, again, I'm going back. It has only one justification. Uh, it shows us uh, how far we are from mastering the characteristics of mental life by representing them in uh, pictorial terms. Um, which made me think, or at least in my mind, I start thinking then, perhaps... Uh, there's a way to deal in pictorial terms uh, correctly in a way uh, that that does illuminate, uh, you know, our mental life. If, is there a way that if we properly manipulate images um, that we're somehow able to to bring clarity um, and peace of mind to to our lives? And it occurred to me in reading that that essentially I think that's what I'm hoping to do with my my work as a filmmaker and the idea that for him to get to this idea of a relationship between um, images um, and architecture, uh, that he's using, again, this analogy of, of architecture, of landscape, to talk about the way we, we think, feel, et cetera. Um, without reading this, at least in my adult life, I mean, who knows what's lurking beneath the surface. Uh, I've been making films in relation to that. You know, um, you know, there was a sentence I read at the beginning that, that I wanted to kind of go back to. Was it? I do have some ideas I wanted to loosely talk about, you know, I like wrote a description, et cetera. Um, yeah, oh yeah, here it is, here it is, here it is. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. That in mental life, nothing which has once been formed can perish, 
that everything is somehow preserved and that in suitable circumstances, um, when, for instance, regression um, goes back far enough, it can once more be brought to light. As I was reading that sentence, I don't know, I'll say five minutes ago, um, it occurred to me that that has a lot to do with something I wanted to show you. So I'll show you. Stop messing around with this doodad for a little while. Not watch that. Oh, oh. We don't want to look at that either. Let's watch this. Um, the performance itself isn't important. The lyrics are the reason why I um, chose this, this clip, which um, I chose while we were setting up the computer earlier. Um, can we dim the lights a little, maybe? I don't know. Give them a little mood lighting. Yeah. She thinks her brown body has no glory. If she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. Yes. Yeah, There are no palm trees on her street. No palm trees on her street. And dishwater gives back no. next part's going to sound a little bit like I'm doing a stand-up routine, but it's really not funny. Um, well, I guess it is kind of funny. Um, when I was, I was really young, I got married. Um, that's the joke. Who gets married when they're young anymore? Um, yeah, anyway, um, it was a bad idea for sure. Um, and one of the moments when I knew, it's a true story. Uh, I'm making this up a little bit. No, I'm not making up the story. I'm making up this lecture. Um, and uh, anyway, at the time I'm dating this woman, she's my my girlfriend, it's prior to us getting married. And I should have known in this exact moment why I shouldn't have married this person. But we were really into Nina Simone at the time, both of us, which was a mutual thing, which is great. Um, and we listened to this this song, which was a recorded version, uh, totally acapella. And, uh, and I believe we were in Puerto Rico um, traveling, right? We're traveling in Puerto Rico. And the song comes on. We're listening to the song. Um, and uh, she she was someone, she's a few years older than I was, so she was already kind of established as an artist, and I very much admired her way of thinking and what she did. And anyway, we listened to the song, and I was, like, really haunted by the lyrics of someone looking into dishwater and not seeing the reflection. And what just, like, what that conjured for me as I'm riding around in a car on a tropical island looking at palm trees and looking at all these beautiful places. And my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, we're no longer married, um, says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And what do you mean? It's this beautiful, sort of terribly beautiful situation, you know? And she's like, no, 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 the lyrics are saying this, this water shows no image and then it turned into a huge fight is it dish water or this water and there were no cell phones to just boop boop figure it all out so this was like a real old school like you know fight that the phone can't help you right and so we're going at it like nah, you know and she starts calling me this sort of like crazy nutty like who would you know write a song like that, which is not that far out, you know? And I thought, man, I'm either really fucked up, like I always misinterpret everything, 
this is in a phase of my life where I probably thought I was kind of stupid. And, uh, and I was like, I don't, you know, this seemed like a cool idea. So I was going with my version of the story. Anyway, flash forward, you know, till about this time last year, I was finishing um, a more recent film, uh, Fluid Frontiers, which maybe some of you had seen earlier. And if you're at that session, we were talking about um, kind of how that came about. I'm an avid collector of things. Um, it's like uh, once you start to become a professor and you get deeper in your education, you get very careful and you start calling this research, right? So I was doing some research in Detroit, you know, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, when, when the educated do it, it's research. When everyone else does it, it's just consumerism, I guess. But anyhow, I was researching in Detroit and I came across this really nice looking small book, um, which looked very similar to the books that I was collecting um, on, on Broadside Press, which was the film. Um, but it's another press, um, small, I believe it may even have been out of uh, London, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Anyone familiar? I'm not, I don't really know the press, but PB Press by um, Paul, Paul Bremen, London, 1973. Anyone knows anything about it, please let me know. So I'm doing my research right here right now, I guess. Um, but anyhow, I come across this book published in 1973 uh, called Storefront Church by William Waring Cuny. And sure enough, uh, I come across that Nina Simone song, which until that moment, I just assumed it was a Nina Simone song. And sure enough, the poem is called No Images. And I uh, immediately, it was around the same time I'm dealing with Freud here. And I thought, wait a minute, like this is a crazy thing. He's kind of talking about this sort of difficulty to, to work through mental health without having proper mental images in a way, paraphrasing. And then we have this poem, No Images, and I'm, which I'll read um, out loud unless anyone else would like to read. Oh. So shy. In the States, people would be running up here, I think. Yeah, everywhere's different. No images. She does not know her beauty. She thinks her brown body has no glory. By the way, if my ex-wife gets to see this, I'll be very happy to point to this. If she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. But there are no palm trees on the street. And dish, D-I-S-H, <laughs> dish water, gives back no images. Gives back no images, right? And so you have this very closed circuit of uh, a poem that I feel like says everything about what, as far as I'm concerned, being uh, a, a committed I mean, one can be black and be a filmmaker, and one can be like a black filmmaker that's committed to working within whatever that context implies for them. But for me, this poem really gets at my relationship to it as far as I see it, um, which is this inability for someone to, to see themselves, right? And I'm not talking about representation like Hollywood, you know, like if you put a black person in an action film, then you have representation, but I'm talking about real representation of real people, you know, like actual people who like have bellies and like pimples and stuff, you know, um, which are beautiful, you know. Um, but anyway, if she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know, right? And she would know what? That her body, uh, her brown body has, has glory. But again, there are no palm trees on the street and dishwater gives back no images, right? This is something I was very much thinking about, um, even though I hadn't read it or thought about it concretely, um, when I was making um, one of my films that, um, actually, let me pull that up first. I stopped mid-sentence. Why? Um, because I'm realizing, and the reason I don't plan things is because the connections will make themselves. I'm a, you know, believer in uh, the great American uh, composer, John Cage, and these chance operations and things kind of finding their own way. They don't, they don't need us to push them around so much, you know, which reminds me, um, <laughs> Aretha Franklin came up earlier. Um, and interestingly enough, if anyone was there earlier, the last woman that read a poem in my film, Marsha Philpott, uh, her father was actually the first person to record Aretha Franklin. This is a weird sort of thing. I was like, oh, wow, like Marsha's dad is somehow in this piece in a weird way. 
But the other sort of uh, connection that I stopped mid-sentence for was not about Aretha Franklin. Um, see, the thing with speaking this way is that I'm, in my mind, making small loops of thought. But nonetheless, you know, you want to kind of hold on to something. Like, why did I stop mid-sentence seven sentences ago? And <laughs> the reason is I do remember. I'm not totally nuts um, um, all the time. Um, was that it occurred to me as I'm bringing up this clip that the samples that I'm using come from this film. And so I'll pretend. Uh, I guess it's too late to pretend. But... Uh, it's intentional. Um, and I'm just using YouTube clips because you should have come to the screenings. I don't want to. I don't want to give it away. If you don't, if you don't come to the formal screening, then you get the glitch version. Right? Got to protect the art somehow. But anyway, there are two images. I was very much thinking about this poem of no image, and it's something like you know how like you you know something has clearly been on your mind. Um, for a really long time, it is totally controlling the way you're behaving, what you do, but it's not, again, on the surface, you're not consciously thinking about it. And I think I had been meditating on this fight with my ex-wife for like a decade, and maybe all of my films are about me fighting with my ex-wife, right? Talk about Freud. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but I've always had this relationship. I grew up in a situation where I didn't travel as a, a, a young person anywhere, really. I went to Disney World once with my family. Um, and so like, I would go to the beach and think like, wow, if you just keep going straight for like 2000 miles, you'll be in West Africa or something like that. And again, this idea of someone looking into dishwater and maybe not being able to see themselves, they're trapped in a situation in which they are not exposed to the heritage. And so I had this concept of films that move quite literally from one place to another and kind of how can you have say this kitchen scenario where she's doing dishes and the palm trees at, at once. And um, thank God that uh, I saw Maya Darren films and uh, her, her classic move of someone taking a step in one place and then landing somewhere else and constantly moving between landscapes. I think that starts to get at what Freud is talking about, where we're layering time and space. Um, obviously, that's linear. It's not like some crazy superimposed image, but you get the idea. Anyway, here's, here's a, an image. Uh, what you see now is just the street in Harlem, uh, Harlem, New York, that is. And um, in Harlem in the summertime, people, as you see in the uh, movies, a big cliche in the movie of New York City in the summertime is what? How do people cool off? I'm going to put it to the test. But you can't talk. Tony, you're, you're the local guy. Someone who's not local. Anybody not from New York in the audience? Fire hydrants, right. Fire hydrants. So this is runoff from a fire hydrant. Um, that's where this sort of riff uh, starts for this, this sequence of images. And this is from my film, Many Thousands Gone. The sound that you hear is by um, improviser named Joe McPhee, who's a buddy of mine. And we work together on this film in terms of the sound. And uh-oh, um, uh-oh, what happened to my, my doodad? It's not me, maybe it is. Oh, am I, it's me? No, nah, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, <laughs> um, so what I did for the sound piece was I chopped up the score into a bunch of little pieces, and then I've been reworking it as an improvised sort of thing. Um, and so these are just some of the samples. All right? We don't need to hear that. But anyway, here's here's a little bit of the movie. as we pan up, right, we're kind of staring into the gutter fire hydrant runoff and then tilting up. This is like when I'm teaching my students, you know, and then we're panning up, you know, tilt to the sky. And then suddenly we find ourselves in the Atlantic Ocean um, arriving in Salvador, Brazil. Right. And so for me, this starts to get at what does it mean to be African-American? What does it mean to be washing dirty dishes and feeling also like you're somewhat of a dirty dish because you don't know any other way to think of yourself? You haven't presented with a context for which uh, you can see yourself in another, in another light. Now, one thing that I don't claim to do and don't do is make any sort of claim to making films that are liberating for other people. I'm very much speaking about what I need for myself. And so these liberating images are images for my own liberation. And perhaps 
in some way they're meaningful for other people, but first and foremost, I'm talking about my own sense of what helps me feel free and uh, makes me feel whole um, in the context that, that, that I live in. So in the same way that we're looking at this relationship to a gutter in uh, Harlem and uh, Salvador, uh, Brazil, um, I was also looking and like to look at street culture in varied places. So as you just saw, there's someone doing capoeira in that scene. I was warned about this, so it's no big deal um, in terms of the, the, the delay in the clip. Um, at the same time, um, we're looking at images of what's happening on the streets of Harlem um, and on, on a similar day, right? You have, uh, talk about chance. I mean, like I make my films up, as I say, as I go along for the most part, I have ideas that I'm interested in, but I'm not really um, saying, okay, here's my shot list. This is why I don't get any grants because I'm like, well, tell you what, give me the money. I'll go take a bunch of walks and then in a year I'll give you a movie. Like that's, that. I don't see what the problem is. You know, I'll shoot it in Harlem or wherever. But it's like, no, 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 what exactly are you going to shoot? Who are you going to talk to? All these things. I find that so stifling as an, an artist. And film is really not a... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, you know, that a year from now, I'm going to go to this place and do this thing. And, you know, I mean, talk about the hereafter, global warming. It's like the weather is not even the same a year later, let alone my ideas about what I thought I would do, you know. And so anyway, I approach things with an openness. When I was making this film... Um, I just literally happened to be walking down the street because I wanted to make a movie and I had a camera. And so I'm going to walk down the street and shoot images and make a movie. And without thinking, it just so happened to be the one year anniversary of Michael Jackson's death. And there was a huge celebration on the streets of Harlem and all these people were dressed up like Michael Jackson. And so that's how this sort of like collection of images came. I didn't realize I could like play with the soundtrack, playing the soundtrack with the soundtrack. Oh, that's too much fun. I'm gonna stop. Um, another time. Another time. Anywho's. Um, so. This idea of no images, again, um, goes back to a fight with my, my, my girlfriend. Um, and again, going back to this workshop on landscape and this idea that um, what, is it, what does it mean to perceive oneself in the landscape, um, even when the landscape doesn't have people in it, right? And so I started by uh, looking at, or we started by looking at this image that I shot on the beach. And at the time I said, ah, I don't want to talk about it. But what it is, is that my great uncle, um, my grandfather's brother, was the president of uh, what we call in the United States HBCUs, uh, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, which were institutions started during times of complete segregation. And so in order for black people to get a higher uh, degree, they had to, or we had to uh, form their own, we are their whatever own institutions, of which my great uncle was the president of one for like 30 something years. And so I'm making a, a, a new film that deals with my experiences living in a collective and relating that to other examples of black collectives. And I'm using this HBCU as one of them. But again, the important thing is this idea of landscape and representation. You know, it's like um, some of us were talking about um, romantic comedies earlier today. And it's like, well, you know, my shot on the beach, it could be the first shot in a romantic comedy. Uh, it could also be a shot about you know the death of my my great uncle it all depends on what uh you know as an artist or what's being um infused with it and then obviously you know we all know about the Kuleshev effect and so the image that comes before and after play a role as well but in any event these are the sort of things that I've been sort of kicking around um now how are we doing on time I'm not really I'm paying no attention I'm chilling like you don't have to tell me a number of minutes but am I chilling or not? Uh, Q&A, um, well, how long have I been rambling? I'm just going to keep going then. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll just finish with this last point. I feel like something 
that I didn't um, really talk about um, and that also came up a bit earlier um, that I wanted to address. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will have done a disservice to the catalog if I don't do this last part, um, which is that how did I get started with all this stuff and what the Sun Ra have to do with any of this? Um, and um, my, my first film um, that I, it's not really a film, it's a video. Uh, the first video, um, and I do make that distinction with, with my work, things that I shoot on video, I consider videos, things that I shoot on film, I consider as films. Um, I, for me, they work, they're like different instruments, you know? Um, it's like, you know, trumpet and saxophone or something, they're not, they're not the same for me. Um, but in any event, this is uh, my early, my first video, and I'm from Philadelphia, and like I say, I, I fancy myself as something like an improviser. Um, and so when it came time to make a film um, as an undergrad thesis film, Jupiter reflects um, to, to us. I'm just going to mute this for a second. Um, when it came time to make my film, again, all of my uh, colleagues had these wonderful scripts where people get blown up and go to space and all that kind of thing. Um, and I thought, shit, like, A, I don't think like that. B, I just don't have the time and means to, to work in that way. And I'd been, uh, I grew up about 15 or 20 minutes away from where the Sun Rock Collective was. And so they were always a part of my consciousness, but it wasn't music that I listened to, say, as a teenager. But in my late teens, I started to get into them. And um, one day I'm uh, coming back from a film class and I'm carrying this this case in my hand, because uh, I would just check out cameras, just play with them on the weekends. Um, I didn't really like taking film production courses. I much prefer to just get technology and take it, and just mess around with it to get what I wanted out of it. And so every weekend I would just rent all the equipment. They would loan me and do sometimes nothing with it, but other times I would go out and shoot stuff. So one day I'm riding the train and sure enough, uh, sitting across from me is one of the members from the orchestra, a guy named Tyrone Hill, who I recognized from seeing him in concerts. and. Uh, and, you know, and I just said hello, and I saw that he had his uh, trombone case with him. And, um, and you know, I asked him if he had a gig that night or something like that. It was a conversation. And he didn't even really reply. His first thing was, like, right away. It was like, what's in your case? Um, and I was like, well, it's, it's a camera. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, you should come with me right now. Uh, I'm going to go, like, busk by where the Phillies play baseball. It was just, like, his way of hanging out and practicing and whatever, something he likes to do. Um, and from that, I was able to get access to the, the whole band and ended up making a about 40 minute documentary of sorts, video essay kind of thing um, with them. I'm going to show you a, a clip of it that I think also speaks to um, some of the themes um, that I've been riffing on. But it's also um, the story that I'm telling. It's like it's uh, I can prove to you that it's true because we're going to see the footage that I shot that day. And you can tell I'm a student because you can totally see like my junk like in the shot and that sort of a thing. But anyway, I'll end on this little clip about my favorite way to approach life, which is uh, obviously not the kind of ignorance where, you know, you truly don't know anything, but you know, I, you, people who come to these sorts of events are usually pretty smart. And so I feel like, you know, we do our research, we do our homework, and then we show up to things like, oh, let me make sure I have it all organized. And uh, it has to do with the way we're educated. Whereas, I mean, I think the research, it's always lurking. And so I feel like it's much more about kind of being ignorant in that moment of having done the research, but just kind of getting into the moment of things um, and, and kind of letting it go. So which is why I'm up here kind of fooling around a bit, um, because I think that's something that we should embrace more. There, There's my message. Fool around. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not done. I'm not done. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Please, please, please. <laughs> So I want to watch this clip, please, please. Let's watch it. And then I'll be done. And then we can clap. Yeah, I don't like that. You know, I don't, anyway, my son and I, we talk about this all the time. He went to the Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City for the first time just a couple days ago. And he went to see Ron Carter, like most legendary bassist ever. And uh, this, is, this is how I know I'm a half-decent parent. Because he goes, you know, it was cool and all, but I remember you telling this story about Japan back in the day and how it was rude to clap after people's solos, and that it's like in America, people clap during the solos, but you can't hear the next person, let alone the rest of the band. And he's saying, people were clapping during the solos, it was really obnoxious. And uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, that was so, that's wonderful that you feel that way, kid. Um, anywho's, let's not clap. <laughs> Till the end. 
Oh, I messed up twice. All right, want to do this with sound? Oh yeah, last last little thing I'm gonna say, and then I'll I'll pause. There are some hideous graphic uh, graphic in terms of the way the the text moves. I didn't edit all of this myself. This is before I knew how to edit, so I ended up firing the editor. Um, so there's this thing with some faces. Just pretend like you don't see it. Just all right. My world of text will just be there. This is embarrassing to do in front of text master Tony Cox here, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> all right, so. The attributes of ignorance deserve consideration. Ignorance, an exalted state among men, abides. Thus, ignorance is said to be bliss. The equation, ignorance equals bliss, deserves due consideration. We have to understand culture, appreciate it, and all of us can grow from everybody's culture. But first, you have to stop your ignorance. And your ignorance is what you think, and what you believe, and what you think you know. And the Creator says, to know nothing, because I'm the Creator, the Supreme Being, I know all. Man, a lot of people don't even know what these instruments are. <laughs> and, 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 with, and with technology, um, you know, with all, you know, with these machines and things, soon and soon in the way, musicians is going to be phased out. Now I can, I can, I can remember Sunrise talking about it. You know, like now, you know, they got drum machines. They got, you know, they, they got, they got all kind of things. Sometimes I bring out other mouthpieces and let little kids blow through it. You know, you know, so they can see what it is. I went to see, they had a jazz festival at the African American Museum. And I went to go see the Clef Club big band to see a guy, Harold Watkins. And then I stick around and saw the Sunrise Orchestra came. They, they came on next. And when I saw them, I knew that's, that's where I needed to be. microphone hey now we can clap thank you hopefully that made some sort of sense or something useful or not 